You're listening to Infinite Banking Radio with your host, Patrick Donahoe. You know, there's solutions out there to every one of the financial problems that Americans are facing today, and those solutions are right underneath their nose. The Infinite Banking concept has helped hundreds of thousands of individuals manage their hard-earned money effectively using time-tested financial principles that cannot fail. The intent of this podcast is to awaken these time-tested principles and reinstate certainty into the financial makeup of Americans. Our society is saturated in debt. Our portfolios are made up of the same speculative investments and theories that have failed us time and time again. The banking and securities industries have ruled financial planning for decades, and the only true benefactors are them. The infinite banking concept has proven to be ideal solutions. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Patrick Donahoe. Thank you for downloading the podcast this week. We are uh, we're actually uh, on a remote site in, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, M- Music City, Tennessee, and uh, here here at a conference for the launch of a a book called How Privatized Banking Really Works. We'll get that uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But you know, I did come for the intention of uh, of going to this conference, but you know. Uh, coincidentally, American Idol tryouts were were right next door. In fact, right out the hotel window, we can see hundreds and probably thousands of individuals looking for their lifelong dream of being a rock star. So it was very tempting to uh, to skip out on the meeting and go and, and try out for for American Idol. But you know, I didn't give in, didn't give in to the temptation. So I, I went to the meeting and, and definitely will have a lot of good content. For uh, for you today, but if I actually did go to American Idol, I probably would have had some good t- content anyway. <laughs> so I'm here with a uh, I'm here with a, a good friend of mine and client, um, Dr. Trevor Trevor Keel. Does that does that intimidate you sometimes when people call you doctor, or do you get like do you get like preferential treatment on the golf course if, if because you put doctor in front in front of you? <laughs> uh, it, it, it actually makes me laugh when people call me that. I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> cool. So so Trevor's here today and uh, he's going to join me. We're going to talk about a lot of things uh, pertaining to this uh, this particular conference. Um, but for for those of you who have been anticipating the uh, the start of our website, we finally. Uh, have it up. It's been it's been a while in the making, and our, and our new website is up. So go check that out. The web address is www.paradigmlife.net, and uh, we're gonna have a really cool. Inter- oh, the blog's already on there, just not a lot of posts yet. We're gonna have a really cool interactive post uh, posting going on in the blog. Uh, we have a podcast player. We have a lot of links to our social media sites. Uh, we're gonna have a, a newsletter that's gonna go be going out systematically every month. So definitely check that out, and uh, if you do see interesting things on the blog, please, please post, uh, get the word out. Uh, we would really appreciate it. So again, that website address is www.paradigmlife.net, and right on the front page you can sign up for our free newsletter, which will go out every single month, which will summarize a lot of the podcasts that we have, the main blog posts that we have, and uh, and so definitely you can use that as uh, as a means to stay up to tune or up to speed with uh, with what's going on in uh in the infinite banking world, so so let's uh, let's kind of get into it. So the the, the book launch was actually called uh, the Night of Clarity, and uh, the, the key players that were that were here. And Trevor, you can kind of uh, help help me uh, name some of these individuals and some of their accolades. Uh, but the guys that actually wrote uh, wrote the book were Carlos Lara and uh, Dr. Robert Murphy. Now, both of these guys are not in the insurance industry. Uh, both of them have, uh, were exposed to the Austrian theory of, of economics, uh, mainly through the Mises Institute, which is actually here in Nashville as well. 
and uh, and they uh, you know they they've been following that type of uh, theoretical approach to monetary policy and political policy and so forth, and uh, eventually found out about the infinite banking concept through Nelson Nash, who is also uh, a, a big advocate of the Austrian theory of, of economics. And they wrote this book basically marrying the, the theory of Austrian economics to uh, how to utilize dividend-paying life insurance from a mutual company uh, with the uh, infinite banking concept. So, Carlos Lara, um, we're going to put some of the, the accolades on the actual uh, actual post for the podcast, but it was Carlos Lara, Dr. Bob Murphy, uh, Paul Cleveland also talked, who is also a, a uh, utilizes a policy in his own personal life. Uh, Nelson Nash was obviously here and uh, in, in promoting, you know, one of his lifelong dreams was to marry these two concepts. Uh, Richard uh, Richard Ebling, who was once the uh, the president of the Foundation for Economic Education, still. Uh, a huge advocate of the Austrian theory and uh, still still a teacher and so forth uh, and and author uh, Tom Woods who in, incredible speaker incredible book writer he was here as well uh, Richard Grant and and these guys uh, they they all spoke and it was incredible to hear their thoughts on you know what's uh, what's going on in the economy today what are some of the uh, the things that are actually reducing um, some of the the ability for for individuals and the collective to, to prosper in general, and, uh, and it, it was it was awesome. And so we're going to get into exactly what Austrian economics is. Uh, we're going to get into you know how it how it works with the infinite banking concept. Um, but before we do that, I kind of want to pick Trevor's brain as far as his reaction uh, to this because you you and I had met a few years ago, but uh, previous to that, you were a big proponent of. Of this theory of uh, of economic and political thought. So, how, how did it help you today? Kind of clarify some of the things, or, or maybe just add to what you already understood. Well, I, for a while now, both you and I, we've been interested in, in Austrian economics, and I, I think uh, for those who who followed Austrian economics at all, the the big complaint has been that um, it's just it's just theory. There's no there's nothing practical that was ever presented. Um, kind of get those ideas into action. It was more of an academic um, system, you know, that a bunch of economists sat around and, and speculated about without any actual principle behind it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the great thing about this conference and, and what I'm so excited about is, um, you know, Ca- Carlos Lara and, and uh, Bob Murphy, what they did is they, they brought the two, the two concepts together. Uh, being Austrian economics and the infinite banking concept, and they presented it in a manner that um, really the the best way to to promote Austrian economics at the individual level, not just at a at a government or worldwide level that you know they'll talk about in academia, but at the personal level, the individual that anybody can do is by creating you know and, and utilizing the the banking concept in their own in their own life. Well, I mean, if you look at just theory. Theory in general. I mean, I, I got a degree in economics, and, it, and these in, these individuals they were they were teachers. And obviously, you can have a mathematical equation. And I think math is a science. Obviously, and there's certain rules and principles of math that work all the time. Like two plus two can never equal five, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, you always have the human element in everything that has to do with a an economy or a society or politics. And it's hard to account for the human element because human beings are, I mean, we're we're a random. We're, we're random. And, and chaotic at, at times, and some of our decisions are not rational. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you look at just an economic theory, uh, it, like you said, it's a, it's a theory. And maybe on paper it might work, but again, it doesn't account for the human element, 
right? And so I think that's the big thing with Austrian economics is it does account for that because all human beings have a couple things in common, right? Number one, we, we want to survive, right? And we, we have kind of a survival instinct which allows us to go out and get jobs and, and then provide for our family. And, you know, we have the freedom, freedom to do that. And, you know, if you, you're stranded on a desert island, I mean, and we're not going to get into this today, but one of the, you know, one of the main uh, kind of fundamental things that, that, uh, that Austrian economics talks about is that the, the, the uh, Robinson Crusoe uh, concept, where if you were just stranded on a desert island, or Swiss, Swiss Family Robinson, uh, stranded on a desert, desert island, you know, h- how would you survive? What would be your incentives? And then you can go off into, you know, the spider web of property ownership and, um, survival techniques and, and things like that, but all, all human beings want to survive. All people uh, want to progress. People just don't want to be stagnant, okay? And that's why uh, there's there's people that uh, a lot of people have ambition. I mean, look at freaking American Idol. I mean, they're ambitious. They want to progress in life. They want to you know pursue maybe some of the talents that they they have. All human beings typically have this innate characteristic, yeah. okay? And who knows how that's going to influence behavior. Right, because it's going to be different for each individual. But what the Austrian school really teaches is that, you know, the progress of our of our country uh, is mainly based on letting individuals uh, act in trial and error, right, and see what works and, and see what doesn't work. Is it a perfect system? No. And every system that involves a human being is not going to be perfect. Okay, but what it allows you to do is it exercise your freedom. I mean, if you look at just some of the progress over the last uh, couple hundred years. In, in looking at you know the entire history that we have as far as civilization is concerned, we've made more progress for the last couple hundred years than any civilization in history, and at an extremely rapid pace. So, what are the fundamental principles that have facilitated that type of progress? Well, I think first it starts out with liberty, yes. liberty, mm-hmm. freedom. I mean, and that's what the the Austrian school promotes, and I think that that's what's made America great is that we have a we have a tradition. Um, history of, of freedom and liberty and, and along that those lines you're talking about people majority of the people out there have an innate desire to produce yep. to be productive and I think along with that they have a desire to be independent and free mm-hmm. and that's what entrepreneurship is all about it's having the freedom not only to be successful but also to fail yep. and and that's essentially where you're bringing this academic idea with the Austrian school and then you're, you're putting it in application with infinite banking because it puts individuals in control of their own money, which money is nothing more but private property. Yeah. And we, you know, we have that those pro- private property rights, and even though they're infringed upon by the government yep. and the IRS and things like that, uh, we want as much control as we can. And infinite banking gives you control of your money <clears throat> to do what you want with it, whenever you want, and you have the ability to to be productive and produce, and you can use that capital or that private property that. It, you've, you've received through your own hard work and then you can go out and, and do whatever you, you want to do with it. Well, people, people are incentivized because they want to know if they put forth the effort, they're going to get a reward. They're going to get something that's going to allow them to progress. Mm-hmm. Right? If there's no reward at the end, they're not going to have any incentive at all. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you look at the feudal system, right, when you had lords and serfs, if a serf went out and tried to be productive and tried to produce certain things and increase efficiency and work harder and get more money... I mean, all of this is going to be confiscated by the Lord, yep. right? Yeah. And and what's going to happen in the end? I mean, there's going to be no progress. There's actually going to be an in- inhibition of progress. You know, and, we, and you can put that into application just in day-to-day life. You know, um, I'm a dentist, and in my in my own practice, I see that. You know, my hygienists that I work with, um, they're paid 
on a, on a commission type basis. Mm -hmm. So the more they produce or the harder they work, the more that they get paid. Yeah. And you see that. You see where they get innovative, yeah. where they try to find ways to fit more people into their schedule or, or add things the same day. Yep. Whereas my assistants are paid by the hour. <laughs> so it's a whole nother, it's just another situation. They're just showing up, trying to make it through the day. There's no incentive for them to work harder or produce more or, or you know, even treat the patients, you know, uh, nicer because whether, whether they perform great and work hard or whether they just show up and just do the bare basics to get through the day, they're going to get paid the same. And that's just, and it's a simple principle, that, that type of ambition, with the understanding that you're going to have a specific outcome in the end, which is typically profit or progress. Right? So if you look at how the United States started and why we've uh, uh, flourished so rapidly uh, is, is because we've been free to exercise and to put forth our effort to use our ingenuity, to use our mind to create the car, to create the airplane, to create use for this black ooze that oozes out of the ground, which is petroleum, um, you know, to, to facilitate electricity, to facilitate the, the Internet, to create Microsoft, to create Walmart, to create, just to create industry, mm -hmm. right? And one of the things that kind of was a common theme, and I recommend that everybody read uh, I Pencil, which was uh, a work by Leonard Reed, who was the... Uh, the founder of the Foundation for Economic Education, you can get a free ebook on fee.org. Again, the, the, uh, it's, a, it's a simple, very short uh, piece called iPencil. And what it does is it breaks down every aspect of the pencil. It breaks down the lead, it breaks down the, it breaks down the, um, uh, the wood, it breaks down the color, it breaks down the little metal that goes at the end, it breaks down the eraser, and it shows all the different processes which create the different components of a pencil. And that's just a very simple thing. I mean, I'm looking at my pen right now, or this recorder, right? If you were to break down everything that makes the pen or everything that makes this recorder, I mean, you're looking at hundreds of thousands of people that are involved in these processes, plus hundreds and thousands of hours to develop all the technology behind it. But yet, whenever we use certain things, whether it's electricity, whether it's the internet, whether it's a car, we take those things for granted because we don't recommend that behind all of that type of technology and innovation was a human being. And what created the incentive for that human being to actually make it and go on a limb and try to experiment with that? It was the basis of freedom where he wasn't limited by a government or limited by a dictator or limited by a lord. Okay? He basically had the freedom to pursue that. Right? And, and knew that they'd be rewarded for their it, efforts. Exactly. He knew that if he, if he did it, they would produce something which would allow him to progress. But today it's very limiting. So we're not going to get it. That, that's kind of the foundation for economic education is that you let the, you, the human spirit thrive on its innate characteristics. And right now, it is very limited, right? Because, you know, not, not to bring up some controversial issues, but at the end of this year, uh, we're going to have some tax cuts. And it's cutting, the, or not, not tax cuts. Oh, brother. Tax, tax cuts fire. Tax fire. <laughs> right? And you have the, the top two marginal tax brackets, which are going to go up. And who is that going to affect? It's going to affect the high income earners. Now, I mean, whether you're envious of them or whether you really appreciate what they do, I mean, they put some effort forward to actually earn that income, whether it's school, whether it's their mind, whether it's acting on some of the talents and abilities that they've been given, they've gotten to that level, right? And now they have less incentive to produce because a lot of that money now is going to go to the government. Well, and a lot of times, you know, people don't, don't want to step back and take a look at the whole picture, but a lot, of, you know, many times these high-income earners that are going to be affected by these, these changes in the, in the tax law are, are business owners, and business owners have employees, so anything that affects them, it's going to affect, affect their employees, and it's kind of a... It's a trickle-down effect. It's a trickle-down effect, yeah. and, and so you're going to see the ramifications 
throughout society as a whole. Yeah, and you know, obviously, you have it's it's just basically the government saying, hey, we can spend money and do things more efficiently than the, the individual human being can do. That that's at the end of the day what their premise is, and we're not going to get into that right now. I think that the main the main point that this book brings out is the Austrian theory of monetary policy. Now, obviously, money is said to make the world go round, and it does because it's an efficient. Uh, medium of exchange. If we went, went back to the barter system, it would be inefficient. So we, we kind of need currency to have an efficient system. But at the same time, most individuals just don't realize how our monetary system operates today. I mean, my, in my profession, uh, I teach individuals just the basic principles of how the United States banking system works. And people do not know that. Ron Paul uh, wrote a book called End the Fed. And in there, he talks about, and I, I know I've cited this on the podcast before, um, but, but actual individuals on financial committees have come up to him at the end, after he started questioning, you know, whether it's you know, the federal chairman or other p- members of the board uh, or other individuals in that, in that, uh, in that type of capacity as, as part of the, the monetary system in the United States, whether it's the Treasury or the Federal Reserve. And they don't even know that the dollar is not backed by anything. They had questioned Ron Paul, is our dollar really not backed by gold. Yeah, it's amazing and, that they wouldn't even know that. Yeah, and being in that type of high position, right? But it's just people are ignorant today of how, how banking uh, the banking system works. So let's talk about maybe a little bit how, how the United States banking system uh, system works. Sure. Before we do that, I think, too, I just wanted to add, along those same lines, you know, Carlos Lara, he mentioned that he's given this seminar in front of bankers. Yeah. And bankers don't, bankers even, don't even know. They don't understand how the banking yeah, yeah, system works. I mean, they, you know, they show up, you know, they, they do their job, they you know, approve loans or whatever, but they don't understand the foundation. Yep. They don't understand it. So, yeah, let's definitely go into that a little bit. Okay, so for, first and foremost, um, our, our banking system today in the United States is based on uh, a fractional reserve system. And so what that means is that a bank can actually lend out more than it has on deposits, okay? And so walking through a, a type of transaction, you know, if someone goes to their bank and, and has an average deposit on there of $100,000, okay, the banks can actually lend out 10 times that amount of money, okay? But it's, it's, not, just, uh, it's not just that. So number one, you know, where, where does that money come from? It's basically just the bank um, taking advantage of printed money from the Federal Reserve, right? And the Federal Reserve basically allows them to do this. It's part of that whole infrastructure. and allows them to lend money to the public uh, more than they have on deposits. Okay, that's first and foremost the flaw because if you have $100,000 in deposits and suddenly a million dollars is created, okay, you, you've, you've uh, reduced or debased the currency okay, because you have more supply of those dollars out circulating in the economy. Okay, that's first and foremost. Uh, second issue is that the dollar is not really backed by anything. It's backed by our faith in it, which is backed by our faith in the government's ability to tax. And I'm not sure if, if faith is the right word, Right, because I don't have faith. <laughs> I don't really have, but it's like it, it's it's just. I mean, the government has guns. They have an army, and if you don't pay taxes, you get prosecuted and go to jail. Well, the only the the reason it works is because, and it has worked, is people accept the dollar. Yeah. You know, you, you walk into a store, you you purchase whatever it may be that you're purchasing, and people accept the dollar. As long as people continue to accept it, the the system continues to to stand up. But we're just continually building a, a taller and taller house of cards, yep. and eventually. Unless something's changed, it's, it's going to come crashing down because it's all smoke and mirrors. I mean, uh, money's created in a computer. Yeah. You know, zeros are added to to bank accounts, and it's it's created out of thin air. What's well, the figure I gave I gave to you is that you know all the currency that's circulating in the United States right now, only eight percent is actually in physical form. Eight percent. I mean, you have trillions and trillions of dollars circulating out there, and all of its numbers inside of a computer system. Yeah. Okay. 
and who controls who controls how much money goes into the system? Okay, it's the it's the Federal Reserve. They have power to dictate what interest rates are, and those interest rates basically dictate how much money is printed. Right? They have a printing press. Okay, and if the economy is struggling or banks need bailing out, they run the press. And it, I mean, it just doesn't. If you if you really think about that, it, it doesn't make sense. And as you and hopefully you're you're interested in this book that's come out because it it outlines in a very simplistic manner how the whole Federal Reserve and monetary system of the United States works. So we should probably plug the book. Um, Absolutely. I, I have a I ordered a case, and so if if you guys want a book, I'll, I'll be willing to give out um, half a dozen books, so six books, and uh, you can just call our office at 800-870-8670. And my extension is 127, or you can hit Whitney's extension, which is zero, or you can email us at info at paradigmlife.net. So again, 800-870-8670. And uh, in actually a few weeks, I will have the ability to actually send out uh, a free ebook. And so you can also email me if you'd like a copy uh, of that. But it outlines perfectly how the Federal Reserve System works, how our United States monetary policy um, works. But let's kind of keep going on the, on the well, idea. Well, I, I think, too, you know, to put a... To put it bluntly, the, the Fed is a fraud. Yeah. I mean, it's an outright fraud. And, um, you know, most of your listeners probably already know this, but it's important to look at the, the words, too, because it, it's called the Federal Reserve, but that's a total, that's a sham as well. It, there's nothing federal about it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a privately owned bank, and there's, a, there's no reserve. You know, there, there's no reserve there. It's all... They don't have a gold reserve. They don't have... No. They just have... They don't have anything. They just have power that's typically given to them by our sanction, sanction of Congress, yep. right? They've never been audited. No. Okay, they obviously appear during financial committees. Okay, but I mean, you go just go and Google Alan Greenspan, and you know, basically he sits there and uses you know words that are probably not even in the dictionary. <laughs> he probably looks like looks up like the 1600 dictionary and just pulls words out of there and spouts them off just to confuse people. Yeah, if you if you watch any of Alan Greenspan's uh, testimonies before Senate subcommittee hearings or anything like that, essentially his goal was to make it as confusing as he possibly could so that essentially any question, those that were questioning would get to the point where they would just kind of nod their head and Yes, you're you're the the wise one. You you're you understand this so much better than we do, so we accept whatever you say. That's yeah. what he wanted. That, that was the goal. And that's one of the things I I ask a lot of questions today is that you know we we give a lot of credence to what we perceive as intelligence, right? And when Alan Greenspan uses those words and uses kind of what uh, uses his response and his justification and so forth. Same thing with Ben Bernanke, right? We we listen to them and, and you know it sound it sounds pretty good, and it's the whole idea of hey this guy's you know in office and and I think and I have faith that he's you know, doing what's best for me, and it's not, and it's not the case because you know a monopoly on on currency and a monopoly on interest rates. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's something that should be determined by the free market, and we're we're as far away from that as you can get right now. And looking at the United States as a superpower of the world, I mean, we dictate a lot of how money works in other countries as well. Okay, which is extremely uh, extremely disturbing if you really look at it. So again, in this in this book, it really outlines uh, the fundamental problems and how a central banking system has never, ever worked. Uh, the founders didn't want it. Uh, you look toward the past in different rulers and other places where currency was uh, were significant in trade, and whenever a central bank got involved, whether it was Caesar, uh, or whether it was previous civilizations, I mean, you go back to the Saracens, and you know when they were conquered by, um, uh, oh, what was it, by the Crusaders that went in and, and kind of destroyed them, 
Uh, they diluted the currency uh, as well. They started cutting up. Oh, it was insane. They'd, I mean, they would they would add different metals. They'd melt down, add different metals. They would clip apart some of the coins. I mean, it was just crazy what they did to dilute or debase the the currency. And the same thing is going on right now, but it's. It's easier. They don't even have to do that. No, they don't have to clip <laughs> coins. They don't have to remelt because everything's done on paper. No, not it's not even on paper. It's, it's in, done in a computer. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And them not ever being audited, it's like we just suddenly you know have faith in them that you know they're doing they're doing the right thing. And looking at just some of the indicators that show how much money is in the bank's vaults right now is extremely disturbing, right? And it just it just shows based on if that money came out of the vaults and started to be put uh, forward with loans and so forth. Uh, there would be catastrophe as far as inflation and other things are concerned. It's, ver- it's very disturbing uh, what's occurred over the last year just based on some of the financial crisis, uh, but also it's, it's really disturbing you know, based on what could potentially happen in the future. So this, this book really points out the problem, and these two guys which are not even, who are not even in the insurance industry have pointed that um, the, the solution to this type of monetary policy, a flawed monetary policy, uh, can be facilitated through the infinite banking concept, right? Because it, it's not to say that we don't need money, because we need money, okay? Again, as I stated before, it's, uh, it's an efficient way to exchange. It's been proven, okay? But at the same time, um, you know, our government and individuals in power have manipulated uh, what the value of that currency is, and uh, it's extremely uh, destructive. Even though they, you know, might say that they're doing it for our best interest, I mean... How do, we, how do we really know that if we can't even audit them and understand exactly where money is going? Well, I think you made a good point that all, you just got to look at history. I mean, uh, every time a federal, uh, you know, a state-type state, state type bank is created, you have problems. Every, any, every fiat currency in history has failed. <clears throat> and that's essentially where we're at. You know, we, we have these problems with the currency, and, we have, and then you add the, the problems with the economy that have happened recently. And it'll be interesting to see. You know, it's going to be uh, uh, Bernanke's really going to have to kind of walk the the high wire here in the, these coming months because he's going to have a hard time finding a, a good balance between inflation and, and keeping interest rates where they need to be without kind of perpetuating yeah, the because, problem. Yeah, because we need we need a stimulation. Yeah. But, but at the same time, we have fear of inflation. That's called stagflation. Yeah. And that's occurred. I mean, it's occurred in the past as well. So instead of getting into those kind of technical terms, I think kind of in, in, in wrapping up over the next maybe 10 to 15 minutes, um, I really want to get into uh, not necessarily you know slamming slamming the Fed. I think the book does a really good job of, of that. Not in necessarily a destructive manner or in a fe- fearful manner, but just in a manner in which it's easy to understand because that whole monetary policy is really difficult to understand at, at times. And that's why people really you know just take uh, at face value what whether it's Bernanke or Greenspan or Volcker or any, any previous Fed chairman. Um, and so we don't want to really get into that. Definitely read the book. Again, you can email me at info at paradigmlife.net uh, or you can call our office at 800-870-8670, extension 0. And uh, Whitney can get you off a book uh, if you're one of the first six to call. And over the next couple of weeks, I'll have the ebook as well so I can get that off to you. Okay. Uh, what I want to get into is, is kind of another principle of the Austrian, Austrian theory, uh, which is the idea of control. Okay. Now, is there absolute control? I mean, we can't, I mean, really shut your eyes and try to control your mind. I mean, all sorts of thoughts are going to be in there. I mean, there's certain things you can control. There's certain things that you that you can't. But having absolute control, I don't think that's that's actually possible. No. Okay. But today, um, people have no control. Okay. Well, let me take that back. 
when you when you get up in the morning, when you get dressed, when you brush your teeth, when you put on your clothes and get ready to go to work, you have control over all of those actions. Okay, you can control and you can make the decision whether or not to go. Mm-hmm. Now you know what the consequence is if you don't go. Okay, but you know what the consequence is if you do go. You get paid. Okay, and so individuals, as they you know operate their daily routine, they have control over certain things. They have control over their decisions. And as they go and they put forth their effort and they utilize their mind, utilize their intelligence, utilize their education. I mean, Trevor, you, you know, in your in your capacity, obviously, but we've gone through several years of schooling and have had to do a lot of specialized things to be able to do what you're doing right now, which is highly valuable. Okay, but you had control over everything that you did. You had control over whether you went to class or not. You had control over being inside of an interview and answering questions the individuals were, were asking you to be able to get hired onto a practice or a job or whatever. You had control over all of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the money comes in. Okay, we have control over that type of transaction, period. Okay, but then what do the majority of individuals do once that money comes in? Well, you know, the very first thing that happens once that money comes in is, is taxes are taken out by the, <laughs> by the IRS. And then the second thing is, Money's taken out and put into a, a qualified plan, 401k or, or you know, IRA or whatever yes. you signed up. In. Yeah. So the rhetoric today is you need to save money, mm-hmm. okay? And graciously, the government has prepared plans for us out of the kindness of their heart, right? To to really um, save some taxes, okay? Yeah. And put money into a system that's you know that, that's flawless, okay? Um, you know, Social Security is one of it. Cause that's part of the income tax, FICA. That's worked out you know really really well. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> that's another. That's another. That's another conversation. Yeah, I mean, they talked about about they, that. They talked know, about social. Yeah, that's. Oh god. One thing that was mentioned that I'll just I'll just throw in there about social security is that you know for for our generation you know uh, it'll take eighty percent. Oh yeah, of our right. of our that. income to pay for our parents' social security. Yeah, eighty percent of our income to pay for our social security. Because there's so many the baby boomers. There's so many more of them than there are us. Yeah, and so again. You know, looking at frauds and deceptions, um, you know, the government, the proper role of government, you know, and, uh, you know, Ezra Taft Benson talks a lot about this, is if, if something is illegal for an individual to do, it's illegal for the government to do. And you look at uh, the Federal Reserve creating money, that's nothing more than counterfeiting. Yeah. And then you look at Social Security, that's nothing more than a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. But yet they... They continue, they, they to, they do continue to do it. Because they have, they have guns. All right, so let's kind of get... <laughs> Well, you have guns too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they have bigger guns. That's true. All right. All right. Let's so, get back on track. Uh, yeah, let's get back on track. So, so basically, when you know when, when money comes in, you know the the, the the common and the collective thought is to put it into government-sponsored plans. Um, and so, just just the fact that the government is sponsoring the plan should show you something. Yeah. N- number one. What's their motive? What, what's their? I mean, what's their motive? Obviously, it's it's touted, and you know, even my father calls it this. He says it was his tax shelter. And I'm like, oh my gosh, shelter from, yeah, <laughs> shelter so the government secured income when you retire. Yeah. Uh, no. So, so if you look at just how the operation of a 401k works, uh, it's completely destructive to money. Um, number one, you you have no control of it. It it goes in, and you have a money manager that's basically putting it in this, that, or the other. Uh, now, obviously, you can say 60% stocks or and 40% bonds or 40% bonds and 60 I mean you you can split it up that way but as far as what the money manager does with that money you have no control over whether it's successful or not it's a casino it is you put it in you pull the you pull the handle and you hope all the apples or cherries or whatever that they are line, line up 
and and that and that's how the the market is gone. Now, the more disturbing thing is is the fact that you know prices for mutual funds and stocks and commodities and things of that nature are all based on the same thing, which is supply and demand, right? And if you look at a supply and demand curve in relation to the biggest boom in the stock market, which is between 1979 and 1999, it was because there was a huge, huge, huge demand for shares and stocks and mutual funds and so forth. Number one, because that's when qualified plans really came out and became very popular during the you know, mid-late 70s, and individuals didn't have to pay taxes on their contributions. Okay? But number two is you had a population of 80 million people putting money into the market. Those 80 million people are going to be, reti- well, they've already started retiring, and they'll be at their peak in just a matter of years, and they'll be forced at 70 and a half to take their money out. Now, inside of a 401k, Okay, just like you know, recent plans, not, not the 529 plan, but plans that were set up that you were able to defer, have tax-free growth inside of a plan set up for private education, it's all been revoked. Now all those plans are being taxed. Mm-hmm. Right? So the government can step in and change those laws whenever the heck they want. Anytime. And looking at you know, the amount of money out there and kind of the saving grace of, of our situation, whether it's our budget deficit or trade deficit or promised benefits in Social Security or Medicare or the prescription drug bill or the new health care bill, I mean, the, the big bucket of money that they have at their discretion, which they can manipulate and change laws on, are qualified plans. Yep. And basically, the ma- majority of individuals are putting it in there because that's what's been touted as the thing to do. We're, and so going back to that whole principle of control, you controlled how you facilitated the earning of that money, but yet you're a hypocrite when you take that money and put it into something that you cannot control. Well, in talking about control, you, you specifically talked about when that money's put in, it's now up to the money manager, whoever's in charge, to decide what to do with that money. But even more, we we even have less control because we can't even have access to that money. Yeah. That money's now locked up until 59 and a half, yep. or you know the government will let you take it out, but then they're going to they're going to hit you with a 10 percent penalty and taxes and taxes. So that you really lose control of that of that money of your private property on multiple levels so. Yep. so if you look at you know just just that whole concept um, you know we've, we've bought into a system I think we've all bought into certain systems mm-hmm. right and their systems are, are all over the place in our life we have a systematic way in which we get dressed in the morning we have a systematic uh, way in which we do our jobs we have a systematic way as far as you know education is concerned, when we take vacations, when we do this, when we do that. I think human beings, you know, we, we kind of need systems, right? Because that's what helps us you know, be on track and hold ourselves accountable and so forth. But oftentimes what happens is your ability to reason, your ability to think is, uh, is obtruse because you're not actually thinking about how the system was facilitated and the pros and cons of the system. Mm-hmm. Okay? You've just said, hey, that's the system. Everybody else is doing it. Let's do it. Oh, dude, what was that one example that they gave? It was a psychological example where they had ten people in a room, and <laughs> remember that? All right. So basically, they had they had ten people in a room, and there was a picture brought up, and there were two thicknesses of lines. You had a big thickness and a small thickness, and the question came out was what is the thicker what is the thicker line? And you have to go stand under the thicker line. And so basically they were just testing one individual. All nine individuals were part of the experiment. And so the nine individuals would step in front of the little line, right? And then I think it was like 95% of everybody followed those nine individuals. And even though he was supposed to stand in front of the thickest line, he stood on the less thick line. It's that whole idea. I mean, we're, we're lemmings. We don't want to be um, un, un, uh Unordinary or weird or we different. Odd person out. We don't want to be the odd person out. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what dictates decisions these days. 
It's what the music that we listen to. It's the clubs that we go to. It's the clothes that we wear. It's the cars that we drive. It's the homes and the neighborhoods that we live in. I'm not saying that all those things are good or bad, but you have to look at the premise of the decision. Well, and you get, you have peer pressure out there, too. I mean, just another example from, from me personally, you know, the company that I work for uh, has a 401k, yeah. and they offer a match. And I don't participate in in it, I don't, I don't have any money in a 401k, but people think I'm crazy, because how could I possibly give up free money? Give up free money. <laughs> how, how, why, why on earth would I not want to take part in that match? And, and so, you know, you, you hear things like that, and you start to think, oh, well, everybody else is doing it, maybe, maybe, maybe I am missing the boat here, you know? Yep. So it's, it's definitely a problem, you know, you, we, be, we become a, a nation of sheep, yep. and we just follow the herd. You know? yeah, I think one, one thing one thing that John Maynard Keynes says that was probably right is, that, is the explanation of the, the herd the herd, herd, men- herd mentality. Yeah. Yeah. So just looking at looking at kind of the foundation of the, the Austrian theory, it's based on that principle of control. Okay? It's being able to control your behavior, control what you pursue and having the freedom to do so. And today, you don't have to do anything as far as participating in a 401k or participating in a Roth IRA or participating in a traditional IRA or any other type of sponsored plan. You have the ability to choose where you put your money. And so if you understand that principle of control, you have to look to a system where you would have optimal control. So what the infinite banking system does is it just looks at how individuals manage their money and where money goes. And the average person is putting 37 cents of every dollar uh, toward interest. Okay, the other 40, you know, another 40 percent is going toward taxes. Okay, and if you just help mitigate some of those two expenses, okay, you can have more money in your pocket. The infinite banking concept is one of the things that helps facilitate that. Okay, but at the same time, we always we always need money. Okay, we always need money to go on vacation or uh, buy a car or fix the transmission, or remodel the home, or, or do whatever. And in that case, you need capital. And if you understand that all capital has a cost, okay, you start to realize the different purchasing options that you have. You can pay with cash, you can pay with credit, leasing, and now using the, the private banking concept or the infinite banking concept, you have that method. And so if you line up the three of those and just look at the outcome as far as what that money is going to do over time, 10 times out of 10, 100 times out of 100, you're going to have more money inside of your system. Now, it's hard for people to swallow, especially using uh, an insurance product, which is kind of the nemesis of the talking heads today uh, in regards to the tools used for financial planning. But at the same time, uh, it's been proven. And what's even better is that that system is in 100% control of the individual who operates it. And obviously in the dental industry, in the doctor industry, in the construction industry, we've had a, a lot of clients that are spending great deals of money on, uh, on machinery or on cars or on inventory. Uh, and in lots of money, same 37% or even if it's 20 or 10% of the money going toward interest to third parties, okay, that's money that's lost and, un- and hard to, if not impossible, to recoup. The infinite banking concept facilitates the efficient use uh, of capital and allows you not to have the opportunity cost of the interest going out to other people. Exactly. Okay. So again, getting back to that principle of control inside of uh, you know the the privatized or how how privatized banking really works. Uh, the premise is number one that our monetary system is extremely flawed and we continue to perpetuate its power by utilizing you know 
banks in the traditional use. Exactly, yeah. Every time when you go get a loan, you're just adding to that problem because what, what you're essentially doing is you put your money in the bank and then the bank is able to multiply it through fractional reserves and create more money out of thin air and it's just creating that problem and making it bigger and bigger. Whereas if you establish your own personal bank, you, you, you've eliminated that. You now are working under your own guidelines, your own control, doing what you want to do, and it's just so much more efficient. There's no, uh, you know, having to have a good credit score. There's no application. There's no getting a co-signer. All these things that you have to deal with through traditional lending. The hoops. Yep, that's, that's gone. That's gone. The, the control is with you, and you don't even have to pay the loan back if you don't want it. <laughs> I mean, that's the beauty of, of the infinite banking concept. Obviously, we would recommend you do, Yeah. but th if you don't want to, hey, that's your prerogative. It's your money. It's your private property. You have control. Yep. So, and the other thing that the book, the book talks about is that um, individuals, the energy is most efficient. All human energy, all human ambition uh, operates within a free society. And today, um, you, you can argue that we're, we're a free and a, a very limited type of in a, in a very limited type of freedom, um, and and looking at how to kind of restructure and rework uh, the whole idea of, of freedom, whether it's freedom of contract or freedom of decision uh, or freedom of spending, even just because of taxes, uh, you have to look at not a reformation of the government, uh, but a reformation of the, the the mind of the individual. That's really where it starts, because the individuals are the ones that really give power to the government, or at least that's supposedly how it was supposed to work. Okay, that's the other thing that it talks about. Then it gets into you know different examples uh, as far as why the infinite banking concept facilitates the solutions to these overwhelming problems and very destructive problems. And it, it's not meant to incite fear in the in the hearts of individuals. It's not meant to incite. Um, you know, basically we're, we're screwed and, you know, our, our, government, our country's going to, to heck in a handbasket. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's to give hope. It's to say, listen, we have problems. There's a foundational reason why we have these problems. And it's because this, this, and this. And it goes back, and in this book it cites, you know, different examples of how Austrian economists predicted what happened in 2008. And they've been preaching on the rooftops since then, and I think one of the biggest advocates has been Ron Paul recently, but preaching on the rooftops that, hey, we're flawed because of this, we're flawed because of this, 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 and it's just, it gets so redundant and repetitive, and, it's, and it's, it's really surprising to me that people really haven't grasped that, but Ron Paul, I mean, now you have Rand Paul, and I yeah. think he's, he's getting a lot of uh, momentum, mm -hmm. is, uh, and, and I think that whether it's this book coming out, or whether it's Tom Woods coming out with all the books that he is, um, the different, you know, Walter Williams and, and other individuals that are very big advocates, you know, Lent, uh, Lawrence Reed, uh, Lou, Lou, Rock, Lou Rockwell, you know, individuals that are really putting themselves out there, and I think they're becoming uh, more more significant as far as their influence on whether it's political policy or monetary policy or commenting, and I hate to say this from, you know, a non-traditional, whereas this is really the traditional thought, but now it's become a non-traditional thought, un yeah. unfortunately. So I think this book, as well as the others, have really helped uh, promote the idea of how the Austrian theory um, would have solved a lot of the problems that we've gone through financially as a country over the last couple of decades. Well, last hundred years, probably. Yeah. Right? So... In the book, it cites a lot of different, uh, um, a lot of different other books where the information came from. Uh, you can go to two websites that just have 
probably more information on there that you can read or listen to in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to Mises.org. Go to Fee.org. So M-I-S-E-S dot org and then Fee, dot org. Lots of different audiobooks, podcasts, and so forth. And also look on the, you know, the different authors' websites. These guys are using the Internet like mad. They are. And whether it's Facebook, be their friend on Facebook. I Twitter. Mean, you know, Lawrence Reed, who is currently the, the president of, of Fee, I mean, some of the stuff he posts on there is just in, is incredible. So get on Twitter, get on Facebook, YouTube. I mean, dude, Bob Murphy is the funniest cat He's hilarious. Because it, in, 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 he's an economist, but dude, we went to a freaking karaoke bar last night and dude he, I mean he, he's the funniest guy in the world and uh, amazing intellectual as well and so these guys are not just boring uh, economics and supply and demand and ISO and I mean these are guys that you know are very intelligent but they're fun to listen to and they make a lot of sense and it's entertaining yeah he was a, he was like a comedian economist yeah, he was it's, hilarious it's incredible <laughs> so it's uh, it, and he's all over YouTube lots of different things on, on YouTube but uh also, get onto our blog. If you if you just disagree with us, let us know. I mean, obviously, the contrarian point of view always helps out because we are the overwhelming contrarian based on the you know the, the mainstream of, of thought these days. Uh, but get on get on there, voice your opinions. We we would really appreciate it. And we love discussion. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> if you have any topics that you want to discuss on the podcast, we're we're open to that as well. Um, but again, let's let's plug the book. Again, the book's called How Privatized Banking Really Works. Uh, it's by L. Car- Carlos Lara and Dr. Robert P. Murphy. Um, and again, I'm, I'm offering six books for free. We'll pay for shipping as well. First, peop- first six people that call in, we'll send one off. Uh, also, the the ebook, uh, I'll have that in a couple weeks. You can email me as well, and I'll be able to email a copy uh, off to you. Uh, but do you have anything else to add, Trevor? Before we wrap up, I think just to wrap up, I would just add, um, you know, I think it's really it's awesome what you're doing. I think. Uh, you know, we believe obviously in in the Austrian school of economic thought, and we believe that it it has the solution uh, to help help solve some of the problems in government. But realistically, that's not going to happen. If we want change, change has to start with a, a, a thought, and then it has to start at the individual level. And that's how change is going to come. It's going to become by you and me uh, going out and making changes in our own lives and taking control of what we can control. And that'll bring about change, and that's that's really what this is all about: is u- utilizing the banking concept uh, to bring about change in your individual life. <clears throat> and as you do so, your family and friends, you know, the people in your circle of influence, will, will recognize that, and it'll spread to them, and then out to them, and then it kind of has a compounding effect. And that's how that's how we can uh, start to have change. Well, start to well, I think I mean, change is one of the most People fear change like they fear the de- <laughs> they yeah. fear the dentist. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I throw that one in there. I mean, they, they fear it. I mean, I I, I tell clients all I, I ask them. I say, let's say tomorrow you were transplanted to China, right? Um, tell tell me a little bit about what your thoughts on that are. How would you react? What would you do? And they'd be like, I, we'd freak out. And I said, what if you were forced to live there and you had to live there for for two years? Okay. Would you get used to the language? Would you probably eventually learn it? Would you get a dictionary? Would you try to converse with people? Mm-hmm. Would you learn how to eat food? Would you learn how to probably get a job? Would you learn how to do this, that, or the? Yeah, you you would adapt to it. Now, in the beginning, is it hard? Heck yeah, it's hard. Okay, but that's what that's what we do as human beings. I mean, change is the most amazing facilitator of growth. But yet, we're the most fearful of it. And looking at the way that we're going right now, 
I mean, it, it's because, and no offense, I mean, look at how many people showed up for American Idol. And, dude, we couldn't even go to sleep last night because they were out yelling and screaming. I mean, look at what people are, uh, are focusing on. And I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I mean, I get, I get a laugh every once in a while off of some of those people that go, that go on American <laughs> Idol and try to audition. Right? But at the same time, I mean, look, look at what we're paying the most attention to. Right? It's, it's, the, it's the entertainment side, side of life. And, and I have nothing wrong with that. I mean, we're going to, you know, in, what's that movie? Inception. In, Inception. Tonight. Um, you know, we have nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, I mean, you have, to, you have to really look at what life is about, and you have to really look at what's driving us as a human being. And right now, those rights uh, are being violated, and it's, and it's, really, it's really disturbing. And uh, the, the ignorance, and I'm not saying that I've always been uh, completely clear on everything, um, you know, it's the, the, the ignorance of the, the average human being is, uh, is, is overwhelming as far as their understanding of how monetary policy works, how po- politics works. Uh, it's getting better, right? Tea Party is definitely helping out. But at the same time, you know, we had a dinner last night with a lot of Tea Party people that came, and it was the same type of ignorance, yeah. right? And we, we got into a discussion about the different financial products and so forth, and it's like, I mean, he, here they come to learn about Austrian economics um, because they want to incite change in government, but yet they, they buy into the same rhetoric of a socialistic financial system, and yeah. yet they don't want to open their mind to that. So you, it's, it's hard to pick and choose what you're opening your mind to, and, you, and you're a hypocrite if you, if you can't open your mind to anything. If you open it to politics... You need to be open to everything, and it's, it was really hard discussion that we have with a couple guys, and you know th- those guys, uh, you know, in the end, wh- whether it was some of the economists that, that spoke, um, even though it wasn't us, we, we answered the questions. They didn't believe us, but yet the panel answered all of our questions for them. Exactly, and it's and it's all about education. You yeah. know, there's no free lunch. You know, all of us have to take the time to 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 become educated about these things, and we have to learn about it for ourselves. And so it's you know. All these websites that you you plug the books. I mean, take the time to to go out there and research this stuff for yourself, uh, so you can come to these conclusions on, on your own. You know, don't be a lemming. Don't be one of the sheep. You know, go out there and, and get educated and and empower yourself. But be but be careful how you draw conclusions. It's mm-hmm. like don't draw conclusions on what everybody else is saying. Draw conclusions based on your research, what you've done. Having all can you have all the facts? No, but gather as many facts as possible. Right, and then use your mind, use the reasoning process, and I'm sure the truth is going to prevail because it always does. And so, you know, with with that said, we uh, we're, we're grateful that you've downloaded this, and I, I know the audio recording probably isn't as as good as we've done in our in the studio, um, but you know, still, you know, listen to this over again if if you'd like. All of our podcasts are free, um, and you know, we uh, we have our our website, which is www.paradigmlife.net. We're gonna have a lot of information on there. We have a YouTube channel. We have a lot of videos on there. Uh, you know, I'm gonna probably p- put a lot of Bob Murphy's videos on, on there yeah, when, when I get home. Uh, we also, you know, for for professionals uh, out there, um, we have a really cool system for uh, for doctors. We have a website called bankingfordoctors.com, and uh, on there it has a, an article that just talks about you know the, the whether it's the dental industry or the medical doctor industry. It just talks about how to how to facilitate the growth of your practice as well as your personal finances uh, with having optimal control. And so definitely check that out. Again, the website's www.bankingfordoctors.com. Well, I think that that might be it. Do you have anything else to, to add in, conc- in concluding? No, thanks. Thanks for uh, meeting me here in, yeah. in the Nashville. Yeah, it's been dude. fun. Yeah, dude. It's, it's hard for me. I came from the dry heat. You came from Houston, so I was, <laughs> you, you haven't had to adapt that much. But it's been brutal. It's been brutal. But anyway, um, go back and listen to previous podcasts if you haven't. We have a lot of good stuff on there. And again, if you uh, want a specific topic mentioned or something specifically discussed whether it's uh, through a policy or whether it's through how the banking system works, 
Uh, we can facilitate videos now and so forth. So uh, definitely give us your recommendations on, on our blog or just email us. Uh, that's all for this week. Uh, we'll talk to you next time.